Great to see everybody out tonight. We continue our journey, our Simply the Savior series. And tonight we join Jesus in a difficult passage. And it's that passage that we know as the wheat and the tares. And the moment you speak about this passage, people often get it confused, and I can well imagine. Remember that Jesus has just finished teaching about a sower. And that sower, because that's what sowers do, sows seed. And the condition of mankind's hearts, those four different types of soil, some of it compacted and hard, some of it thin and rocky, some of it choked with weeds, and some of it good. And so the gospel going forth into the world, the sower of the seed is God. And you being his representatives, we being his representatives, are out sowing seed. Maybe some of you sowed some seed this week. Maybe you sowed some this afternoon. Perhaps you shared that good news, that salvation is a free gift of God. That that grace that we walk in as God's children, given to us by a relationship through faith, and that faith is a gift to us, brings us into that right relationship with Jesus Christ, we're sowing the seeds of that gospel. And as we do that, the hope is to produce wheat. You see, the analogy now continues, and it continues in a way as it ties in very much with this morning's message. And as we're scattering seed, we hope to be scattering uh, the good seed, amen? The seed of the gospel. We're growing the kingdom. And there are some who are sowing seed that when you look at the seed, itself is almost indistinguishable from wheat seed. And certainly... As the seed begins to grow, it looks like it's producing wheat. And so Jesus is now going to speak to the very issue that we started on this morning. You see, there is a lot of sowing of seed, willingly sowing of seed, that is not wheat at all. It's tares. And so Jesus now gives them yet another kingdom parable, and it begins Matthew 13, verse 24, another parable he put forth to them, saying, let's pray. Father, tonight we have gathered together, Lord, as your children, as the church, as your disciples, and we pray that you would enlighten us now to the truth contained within this parable. We know why you spoke them. Lord, these earthly stories with heavenly meanings, we know what you intended to both reveal and conceal. We believe, God, that your word is true, every word of it. And so we ask that that truth would now be spoken into our hearts by the power of your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And remember that they're still in the same location, 
They've come down near the Sea of Galilee on the north shore. They've gathered above this cove uh, that's just slightly to the west of Jesus' home base with Peter and Peter's mom in Capernaum. Just a half mile or so walk. And they're on the hillside, very likely sower sowing. Very likely a wheat field. Would have been a very common thing for them to plant. And that wheat would then be harvested, turned into flour. The most common staple used in our world to this day would be a type of bread. And so he says there in verse 24 of Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And so the picture continues. The goal is kingdom fruit. The goal is to do the work of the gospel. The goal is to go into the Judea and to Jerusalem, the uttermost parts, and and sow the gospel seed. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and went away. And so you get the picture. A little bit of a lack of attention. You know, we all need to sleep, amen? Well, at least most of us do. If you're under 20, maybe not. But most of us need a good night's rest, and so it's not really picking out a fault here so much as it is an observation. There are times when the enemy is at work. And sowed tares amongst the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. And so the servants of the owner, that would be the church, the owner being God. When people who were true believers spotted what had happened, they came to the owner and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Did you get a bad sack of seed? Is there something that happened? Did you mess up? The people working for you do something wrong? Because when you look around at us, it would be pretty easy to understand. There might be a mistake or two here or there. Amen? God's people are a unique lot. We're fearfully and wonderfully made into the image of God, but sometimes we fail to live up to our image. Amen? God doesn't expect perfection out of his kids. He'd love to see it, but the fact of the matter is, is upon occasion, there's a chance maybe some lousy seed got sown. Somebody wasn't paying attention. How then does it have tares? You weren't very observant. I mean, can't you tell the difference between a wheat seed and a seed from the tear? And he said to them, and mark this very well, an enemy has done this. It wasn't the real church. It wasn't the real word of God. It wasn't the real gospel message but it sure masqueraded like it. 
And it came in such a way that it was easily confused with the real deal. And the servant said to him, Do you want us to go then and to gather them up? And I want you to be really mindful of what's being said here because I think a whole lot of gospel time is wasted chasing after things that are of zero kingdom effect. And one of them is trying to hunt people down who are engaged in sowing tares. Because they're everywhere. The enemy's going to use them. And sometimes the church spends way too much time trying to go find out where the tares are. Notice the Lord's response to this issue. He said, no. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. You see, the picture is this. When you take wheat and you mix it with tares and you plant those seeds side by side, very often they have become so intertwined that to tear out the tares is to also tear out the wheat. You end up destroying, especially young believers. People whose lives are very susceptible to such things. And we have an obligation to take care of the weakest among us. The tender sprouts, the spring grass. You need to be very, very, very careful. Sometimes we spend way too much time. And so what does the Lord say? He says, let both grow together until the harvest. He's basically saying, make sure that you're using your time very wisely. Because to go into a wheat field and begin to pluck out every tear, number one, is extremely time-consuming, and it takes you away from the things that you're really supposed to be doing. Number two, you may destroy someone in the process of trying to do this. And so stick to sowing good seed, watering good seed, and harvesting good fruit. So at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, God knows where every last tear resides. And he can surgically extract every last one of them. And so he says, I'll say to the reapers, first, gather the tares together and bind them in bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. What's Jesus saying? In the first eight parables here in Matthew 13, Jesus explains the four kinds of responses. Negative, three of them, and one of them positive. And he he makes an example of the sower that goes out to sow. And so now he goes on to instruct us how to respond to falsehood. What do we do in the face of these things? Now remind yourselves that We're sitting here in the church, and Jesus will also go on to talk about sheep and talk about goats. He's going to make a clear differentiation between those. Remember, he said the road is narrow that leads unto righteousness, and few there are who find it. It isn't for lack of teaching the truth. Jesus is addressing another issue here. He's saying the enemy has sown in the church, the real church, the true church. He has put false believers 
into the church. And you're going to be able to spot them at some point in time. And so what he's saying is fake Christians often grow side by side with real Christians. Sometimes we get oblivious to the planting. He uses a word here for tares. It's zizanion. And it's a type of weed. It's actually called a darnel. And if you look at it when it's green, if you put them side by side, I would defy any of you, if I didn't label this for you, to tell me which one was the wheat and which one was the tear. There's probably not a single person in this room that could have told which one was which. If I'd have said one of those is wheat and one of those is tares, probably half of you would have picked one, the other half would have picked the other. They could grow side by side in the same field. And so similar are they that the experienced eye might be able to pick them out, but the inexperienced eye would not be able to. Uh, A pastor who knows the subtleties, the details of doctrinal discussions might possibly pick that tear out, and we have them here in this church. And they've come to me with their extraordinary knowledge about all kinds of things, their secret word they think they heard from the Lord. And I will usually say something to the effect, well, that's nice. I rarely engage with them because I believe Jesus meant what he said and said what he meant. It almost always proves fruitless because people with an agenda are people with an agenda. And they generally have a plant in mind that they want to grow and it's not the good fruit of the gospel. And so when I don't know for sure, I simply let them grow for a while until they begin to pop forth fruit. It starts to get a little more obvious once the fruit begins to pop out because you can tell the difference between the tares, that darnel weed, and the wheat. But even there, it can be a little bit difficult. The Lord knows the difference. It's not escaping his gaze. And so the Lord reminds us, keep your eyes focused on what I've called you to do. Because eventually people expose themselves. They become known for who they really are. This was such a heinous crime that I would be remiss to not remind you that during Roman times, if you were caught sowing Darnell seed into someone's wheat field in many regions of the Roman world, it was a capital crime. And the reason being this, someone would tend that wheat field for an entire year, believing they were going to get a crop of wheat. They'd watch it grow. They'd put all the effort in and tending it and keeping it weeded of other things that didn't look like wheat. And then when the crop would come in, it would be completely useless, absolutely inedible, and that family might well starve to death. And so sowing tares amongst the wheat in Roman times, when Jesus wrote these words, carried the exact same penalty that Jesus mentions. Death. Except in this case, Jesus is saying, I'll gather them together when I reap in the harvest And I'll see to it that they're burned. The implication is fairly easy to spot. 
It's not until many weeks after those seeds were planted that the wheat would spring up and uh, it would be weeks later, actually a month and a half to two months before even the earliest uh, stalks of wheat would become evident. And when the landowner saw those tares amongst the, the wheat, in this case, he said, man, there's tares in the wheat field. What do we do? Let them grow. You concern yourself with what I've called you to do. So many people are running around trying to put out every biblical fire uh, that they become consumed. Now I want to be really clear here. I teach apologetics in Bible college and cults and world religions. So I, I, have a, I have a heart for the subject. But you need to be really careful because you can become so consumed with trying to figure out why everyone's wrong that you forget what's right. And you're wandering around, you forget to even preach the gospel because you're so engaged in trying to hunt down every last tear. If you just sow good seed, a little secret for you, wheat grows. If you go around trying to pluck out all the tares, you might actually kill some wheat in the process. But there's one thing for certain. You will not get any fruit from your effort, at least as far as the wheat's concerned. You're not planting the seed. You're trying to pull out the bad stuff. See, pastors have an obligation to speak about these things. You all need to be busy about planting seed and watering it and tilling the soil a little bit and if you see a tear by itself and it's easily distinguished, yeah, you can confront that. But be careful that you don't get caught up wandering around looking for every last tear that's in the wheat field because there's a lot of them. The enemy has sown them. We know 1 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 2, chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. In the last days, perilous times are going to happen. There's all kinds of things going to be crazy. The church is going to be filled with people who are imposters. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy. Titus. But we're here to seek and save that which is lost. Not so much to try and figure out who's wrong. And why do I say this? Because I think we need to stay mission focused. Very often I'll be in an airport, I'll be doing something, and I'll see a bunch of, you know, young men who are wearing their name tags and it says Elder Bob. Sometimes if I have time, I'll engage them in conversation. But you know what? You're probably not going to move them very far. They believe they're on a mission. I just tell them Jesus loves them. It freaks them out. Because then they want to know which Jesus, because it's obviously not the Jesus they believe in. Because their Jesus only loves Mormons. My Jesus died for the whole world. Loves the whole world. Terrorists think they're okay. They think they're hidden amongst the sheaves of wheat until God sends out the laborers into the harvest field. And I can tell you this, judgment day is coming. 
stay on task. So that you might be ready to distinguish. You know, sometimes we are forced because you get a talking tear. One who moves in next door. You get that single one that you know what it is, you know where it is. And in that case, probably a good thing to pluck that one out. But don't make that your solitary goal. When you see one, deal with it. God will take care of the ones that are planted in the wheat field. You see, we're in grave danger, family of God, and let me just tell you why. There's a tremendous sweeping movement across the world towards universalism. And what I mean by that is basically all roads lead to heaven. And if there is something called salvation, everybody in the end gets it. And that Allah is Yahweh and Yahweh is Allah and Allah is Krishna and the tree God and virtually every other thing that you can think of. And so the reason that this then becomes important for us is we're seeking to plant a wheat field. So are you a wheat or are you a tear? And are you planting wheat or are you planting tares? And in our day and time, there's an awful lot of tear planting going on. We had some tares this morning out on the corner of Knox and Vermont. Those are tares. It's my job to point them out. It's your job to avoid them. If you have opportunity to share the real gospel, do so. But I've rarely seen anyone engage in the argumentation of sitting there with people. They just scream and yell. I had some of those same people at a men's conference a couple of years ago. And I have a little bit of a mean streak in me every once in a while. And so I figured I would pretend that I was just coming to the conference. And so I asked him what they were all about. And he said, well, everyone that's going to this conference is going to hell. And I said, really? He said, everyone? He said, yes. And he proceeded to use some of the same language that the folks this morning used on their website. Yes, all, all the people that are coming here are nothing more than a bunch of whoremongers. And he said that to me. I said, really? So, said, well, I'm whoremonger Pastor Jeff. Nice to meet you. And he said, well, you know, only elect are going to heaven. I said, yeah, that's absolutely correct. What's your, what's your definition of elect? Are you talking about the people that go to your church? What is that, eight? I said, because I'm pretty sure that the love of God is not in you. And my Bible says that all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. And being as you don't love me, I'm pretty sure that that's a mark that you don't know the same Jesus I know. And this went on for about 10 minutes. And I finally realized something. You can't change a terror by talking. It's a work of the Spirit. And so I just simply said, you know what, God bless you. I pray that the Lord reveals truth to you and walked away. It made him so mad, he cursed at me as I was walking away. Well, you're going to burn in hell. I said, well, no, I don't think I am. I said, Jesus loves you. Well, he doesn't love you. I said, yes, he does. About that time, about 200 guys in line behind me all started clapping and yelling, Jesus loves you. 
But you know what? The guy didn't change his point of view. He stood there with the same silly signs. And so we just prayed for him. And person after person stopped right in front of him and just bowed their head and prayed for him. And there wasn't a thing he could do. If we do more praying and less confronting, we're going to be better off for it. Share the truth of the gospel and then go do something that has kingdom benefit. I'm going to give you some common characteristics of some of these groups. These, they're cults. There's no two ways about it. They have common doctrinal characters. How do you know that some of these people are tares? Jesus said there in Matthew 7, we already looked at it when we were studying the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you'll know them by their fruit. You're going to know whether they have wheat or whether they have darnel seeds on them. You'll, you'll be able to spot that. But cults, those who are tares, do several things very universally. Number one, they promote a false teaching on the, the, the character and the nature of God. They almost always have a mean and an angry God who sits in heaven whose only goal in life is to make sure that you pay for something right now today. They have a false understanding of who God is. Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, condemn that there, there, there is no trinity. Mormons teach that there's a, there's a tritheism, three gods, and Jesus is the lesser of the three. They have a false view of God. They have a false view of Jesus. We happen to believe as Bible-believing Christians that Jesus Christ, we call it the hypostatic union. And in that union, Jesus was fully God and fully man all at the same time. Most tares believe that he was fully man and had some godlike characteristics. If he's fully man, then he's a sinner just like us and also needs a savior himself. Our Savior was fully God and fully man. 100% of both. Now in math, that ends up being 200%. You can't have that. But it works out in the economy of God. Have a false teaching on salvation. And very often their salvation is what I call salvation by organization. In other words, if you belong to their group, you're saved. And if you don't, you aren't. Anybody that ever tells you you have to join their church or join their way of thinking or gather together with them and they alone are the only ones who are saved and can be saved, that is a sure sign that they don't know the real Jesus. Could there be somebody in there? Maybe. But they're trying to sell you something. And it's not the grace of God. The thing that almost always is visible. And you've all seen it. You've maybe even had them brought to your door. They have some extra biblical revelation that they'll bring to you. In the case of the Mormon church, it's the Book of Mormon. And they'll bring it and they'll give it to you for free. I would encourage you to, unless you have, you know, maybe you've got a fireplace. That's not truth. It's not another testimony of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, as he closed the book of Revelation, cursed is he who adds to or subtracts from the words of this book. So when Joseph Smith decided that he would author that puppy in 1830, and by the way would write it from a supposed language that never existed, 
supposedly looking into a hat at some nice golden plates, the plates of Nephi. As he looked into that with his special goggles, with his seer stones, and interpreted his reformed Egyptian, if you happen to send a letter off to the Smithsonian Institute or perhaps National Geographic Society and ask them about reformed Egyptian, here's the answer you'll get. It don't exist. There's no such language. And yet the Book of Mormon was supposedly translated from it. It's never existed. Here's the kicker. The period of time covered by the Book of Mormon is supposedly 2200 B.C. to 469 A.D. So well within the time frame of many of the known languages that your Bible comes from. Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Furthermore, in 1830, why would someone write in King James English? King James uh, died in the 1600s, as did his version of the English language. began to transition. You see, but people will come to you professing to be a Christian and sit down right next to you, and let me tell you about Jesus. And they'll use words like salvation, except what they really mean is baptism into the Mormon church. They're tares. They look nice, dress well, sweet people generally. But woe unto them on judgment day. Doctrines and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, King James Bible, the four standard works of the Mormon church. If you talk to the Mormon leadership, when push comes to shove, it's the Book of Mormon, it's not the Bible. Maybe the Pearl of Great Price, maybe the Doctrines and Covenants, but definitely not the Bible. I've shared with you before, Christian science is neither Christian nor scientific. They believe that Jesus was a a man. He was not God. He held to a Christ-like ideal. And yet, they'll grow right next to you. Nice people. Jehovah's Witnesses, same thing applies to them. They even have their own translation of the Bible which is not actually a translation at all, so that you can understand how deceptive tares can be, they'll tell you, well, let's use our Bible. And you ask them, well, how many other Christian denominations in the world use your Bible? The answer is zero. And in fact, the supposed translation, the New World Translation that they use, is not a translation at all because there is no manuscript that was translated, and here's why I know that. Of the seven people who did the supposed translation, six of them did not graduate high school. They had no formal training in any kind of Near Eastern language. They were not Greek scholars. They were not Hebrew scholars. They certainly did not know Aramaic. Only one of them had any training at all, and he had 21 credit hours. And by the way, that was done in the 19th century. So we had plenty of manuscript evidence to look at. And so when their Bible says, in the beginning, God, they mean a different God. They conveniently leave out Jesus. 
you see the tares grow in amongst the wheat. They may even claim to be Christians. There are many things that when you look at them, you, you, you get confused. I can't even tell you how many people have come to me and made the case that the Mormon church is a Christian denomination. The Jehovah's Witnesses have Christian viewpoints. No, they have monotheistic viewpoints at times. But Christian hardly. You find several things sociologically that are unique that happen in almost all these groups of people. Very authoritarian structure in their leadership. Basically what the leadership says is how it's going to fly. You go against the leadership, it's the equivalent of going against the commands of God. Look, if I make a mistake, I've had people come and say, well, you, you said this, and I'll look at the, you know what, I was wrong. I misquoted that. Not so with the tares. Because the tares have to work really hard at looking like wheat. So they do what we call the sociologic sleight of hand. Look over here. Well, they kind of dress up their tear a little bit so it looks a little more like wheat. They have an elitist mentality. If you've ever talked to a Jehovah's Witness, you'll see that absolutely and inequivocally. Without question, they're superior. And in fact, so much so that they still believe to this date, even though they have gone through several generations of the 144,000 that will make it to heaven. You know, when you reach the first 144,000, you have a problem if one gets added to it. Somebody's got to go. <laughs> and so now those poor unfortunate souls get kicked out of the hierarchy and they have to stay here on earth. It's crazy. My Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. God is no respecter of persons is what your Bible says. That that grace gift that's free to all of us puts us all in the same kingdom of heaven. I almost always have a legalistic lifestyle. You'll see them. I feel sorry for them sometimes. I'll see the, the groups of Jehovah's Witnesses walking through our neighborhood and you can always tell. They got the ugliest dresses that God ever saw made on this earth. Sorry, but they the black tennis shoes popping out from underneath the, you know, dragging in the dirt dress. But you look holy. No amount of covering your sin is going to make it go away. Salvation is based on grace. These groups all teach that it's based on works. Somehow you can work your way into God's favor. By the way, is exactly what Islam teaches. Good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you're good to go. You mess up. You know, I don't know how you guys are accounting, but when I get up in the millions, I start to lose count. So you better be really sure. Better be able to balance it out. When we talk to these groups, I had 
have so many people that I know that have come up and they've said, yeah, I used to be a Mormon or I used to be a Jehovah's Witness. I was involved in that, in that cult. I believed I was a Christian at the time, but now looking back on it, not only do I know that I wasn't saved, I was miserable. And when I tried to get out, they hounded me for years. Tried to drag me back in. There's an exit process. Why? Because they don't want anybody knowing the secrets. That's why when you go on the internet and you start typing in ex-Jehovah's Witnesses or ex-Mormons and you read, man, you, you talk about people that have a lot to write about because they were in that field with the rest of the tares. As, as you go about your business, as you're living your life, God wants you to be a fruit inspector for sure. But don't get caught up. Pray for those people. You know, if God has you share the gospel with them, fantastic. When they come back the third and the fourth time and there's been no progress whatsoever, don't keep trying to pluck them out. Just let them grow. God's got it. Tell them the truth. Move on. Sometimes I think that as we engage with, you know, the cults, as we engage with people who, you know, are really there for the wrong motivation, one thing happens to us. We start to question whether we're right or not. I've had so many Christians, because they're ill-prepared, because they want to go out and pluck out tares out of the wheat field, and they go study a couple of online blogs, and then they go throw themselves you know, at the first Mormons they see or the first Jehovah's Witnesses they see or they walk into a Christian science reading room and they get chewed up, spit out and wondering whether they actually believe themselves or not. That's what Jesus had in view here. Don't worry about it. That's a job for someone else who's a reaper. Someone who knows what they're doing. Someone who can differentiate between the the wheat and the tear very quickly and very cleanly. Someone that knows whether they need to pull that tear out or whether they need to let it grow. Something interesting happens as they get a little bit bigger, they actually are a lot easier to spot. They become easier to pluck out. In light of the threat, what should we do? First, study God's words, what you're doing here tonight. We study the word of the Lord. You see, what combats the lie is the truth. Amen? Amen? That's how you know the difference. A little secret for you. If you didn't know this, if you go to the FBI Academy there in Quantico and, and you go into the forgery unit, the way that they teach you how to identify forged currency is by having you handle the real thing. Not by having you handle false bills, the real bills. They'll give you a stack of hundreds and fifties and twenties and you'll feel them and look at them and flip them over. You get the real thing and that's how you learn to determine what a counterfeit is. There's an actual feel to the paper that we use for our money. There's threads within it. There's holograms and there's all kinds of stuff within it that if you handle it and feel it and you crunch it up and you spread it out and you put it in the palms of your hands and do anything and everything that you can do to a real bill, eventually you can actually just pick up a fake bill and go, that's not even the right paper. The same is true for you in making sure that you're aware 
when there might be some tears around you. Handle the real thing. Handle the real word of God. Second Timothy 2.15 verse, Do your best to present yourself to God an approved workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly able, rightly dividing the word of truth. Make sure that you know the truth. The truth sets people free. It's the gospel message. And it really doesn't matter what group that you put in this, this mix. Whether that's a, a true cult like the Mormon church, like Jehovah's Witnesses, like Christian science. Those are cults. They rely almost exclusively on the writings of some human being that always supersede the word of God. If you know the word of God, you're not going to have any problem with the, with the falsehood. If you don't know the word of God, you get in trouble. Then there are the religions of the world that people also look at. As I said, there are a lot of people, a lot of Christians, that think somehow that Islam is ultimately the the way that leads unto life. People say the same thing about Buddhism, Hinduism, even portions of the New Age movement. I've had Christians who, who profess Christ say, well, you know, I think they believe in the same God, just, you know, they believe it's a redwood tree. My God is enthroned in the heavens, and no man can see him and live, so I don't think it's a tree in Northern California. And I say that because we can get carried away. This, this God ideal. You know, there's a true and the living God, and he's holy. He's enthroned in the praises of his people. He dwells on high. So great is his majesty that no man can see him and live. Mind cannot even contain the things that await us in the glory of his presence. And so for us, as Jesus puts this out in front of us, he's saying be careful. He's telling the church be careful and be busy. Be careful about what you believe to be true. Be a Berean. Study the word. Make it so that you can tell the difference between a wheat, between a tear. Make sure that you, you hold them in your hand and go, ah, oh, that's wheat. Yeah, that's a tear. When you find them, don't be overly concerned. Preach the truth. Make sure that people understand where you stand. You know, sometimes it's one of the weaknesses we have as a church. We profess something on Sunday and we don't live it on Monday. We need to make sure that we're weed all the time so that people can tell the difference in us. There's an awful lot of Christians that wander around espousing things that are basically heathen doctrines. I, I've heard you know, Christians want to, oh, well, man, I just got, I just got some bad karma. Do you even know what karma means? Probably not. It's part of Hinduism. It's a Hindu concept. It's part of that infinite amount of reincarnations that you can occur. And when you don't do things just quite right, you get to do it all over again. 
moral equivalent of the natural law of cause and effects, in essence. You do something bad, you're going to get punished. Praise God, that's not true. Because every last one of us would perish eternally if it were. You always reap what you sow. There's no grace, there's no forgiveness. You just simply get to do it all over again. I always tell people, you know, if, if that were the case, I'd want to get out of that cycle as fast as I possibly could. Because I, I know that my chances of ever getting that right pretty much zero. First time I'd come back as a bug. The second time was an amoeba. And after that, it looks really dim. Consequences for your choices. The consequences for my choices are this. I choose between life and death. Jesus said, choose life. So tonight, I'm going to bring the worship team back up. God said, let them grow. Don't concern yourself too much with them. The tears are going to be around. If you see them, make sure you have the truth that you're armored up. Leave it to the harvesters. They know what they're doing. Leave it to God. God gives you a word. Pray for them. Speak to them in love. But be busy sowing good seed. Share truth with people. That's what can ultimately change their life. Father, thank you for this time tonight. and Pray, God, that you'd work in our lives, both to will and to do your good pleasure. Pray that you'd bless us, Lord, with your presence in our lives this week. And God, as we encounter people who we're fairly certain are tears, God, we ask that you would give us love and joy and patience Meekness, kindness, self-control. Against such things your word declares there, Galatians 5, there's no law. Lord, there's nothing they can do with kindness but receive it. God, help us to be people of the truth. Help us to be armored up. We thank you, God, for your goodness to us. And we're sure glad that we don't have to make those decisions, Lord, what to pull out and what to leave. And so, God, help us to be busy about those kingdom things that really do matter. Lord, help us to sprinkle a little water, sow some seed. God, if we get an opportunity, we pray that you'd help us to speak truth into someone's life. Pray that you'd bless us and anoint us, watch over us and keep us. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Do you stand? Going to have some of the pastors come forward. Maybe you're struggling. You got somebody that you know, maybe a next door neighbor, keeps coming over, wanting to share a watchtower Bible and track society piece of artwork with you. Maybe you yourself have been struggling with what is truth. Is is truth even knowable? Got some pastors that love to share with you. Some elders that love to pray with you. And some ladies that pray with you ladies if you need to speak to some issue that'd be better shared with the lady. Concern yourself with sowing good seed. Amen.